Hello, this is Reverend Judith Laxer. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Gaius Temple Service entitled A Father's Love. Wherever you are tuning in from all over the globe, I'm so glad you're here. My wish is that the food for thought offered brings great nourishment for your soul. The Gaius Temple Ministry is sustained completely by those who partake of its teachings. If you feel served by this offering, please push the donate button now and give generously. We'd be most grateful. Also, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thank you and blessed be. Well, today we are just nine days from the summer solstice, or Letha, as the Celts called it, on the Wheel of the Year, which this year falls on June 21st, exactly uh, at 7.58 a.m. when the sun goes into Cancer. And we are celebrating our Father's Day service one day early, or one week early, actually, because it's next Sunday, but we don't meet on the third Sunday, we meet on the second, so... You know, I find myself talking about the masculine in June, year after year in Gaia's Temple, because from the pagan perspective, the sun is an aspect of the God that we hold divinely, because the sun is the star that we orbit in the cosmos and uh, in the vast, vast universe, and our relationship to it is as primary as it is to the earth. I mean, conditions on earth are conducive to life, like ours, because of our relationship to the sun. And so what has happened, and what is happening, is that as the ozone burns off, this heat impairs the health and safety for all of us here on the planet. It simply must be tempered for life to be sustainable. This is a very real situation that is a perfect metaphor for the masculine. It simply must be tempered for life to be sustainable on planet Earth. And as pagans, that's us, or most of us anyway, who seek to emulate nature in their spiritual practice, we know that the sun god is about to reach his zenith, his peak, his peak of power. He is shining bright and long, and his golden rays are warming, and the earth responds with flowers and fruit. Green growth is everywhere. I mean, it's such a beautiful time of year. And so if we truly are a people in the full height of our power, what is the light that we are shining as brightly out into the world? And is it sourced in something grounded and healthy so that we can sustain it? These are the questions on deck. And because we honor the masculine in all its glory at the summer solstice, it also makes sense to me that Gaia's Temple falls so close to Letha. Not Gaia's Temple, Father's Day. That Father's Day falls so close to Letha. Wow. This is where the cosmic and the spiritual come together for me, I guess, you know. Father's Day, a day we honor the men in our lives. Yay, men in our lives. The seed holders, the fathers, whether biological or not. Our fathers, such a loaded phrase, our father. Even the title of this service is loaded, A Father's Love, because it brings to mind how our father loves or loved us. Was their love strong and steady, protective? Was it authoritarian? Was it fraught with tension and competition? Or sweet as sugar? And however our father's love was or is, it affects who and how we are today. So I want to talk about ancestral healing, which is something I usually talk a lot more about in the autumn as the Hollywood evening approaches, and we contemplate our ancestors and we honor our beloved dead. But I want to talk about ancestral healing today in conjunction with Father's Day because of the legacy that flows down from father to son particularly because we are living in the patriarchy that began thousands and thousands of years ago. Ancestral healing, that is to say, to heal what has been. To pause to consider the wounding that occurred in the family line, and also the wounding that occurred to whole cultures and societies, and the lasting effects of its occurrences. I want to talk about the need to turn toward that healing 
to pay attention to it, to minister to it for healing. Now, we all know there are a goodly amount of people these days who are terrified to turn toward the truth of what came before, who want to deny what came before, to ignore the truth of our history. And I understand why, because the truth is often painful, and we don't want to feel that pain, because, you know, pain hurts. People are feeling threatened that their position of power is in dire straits and may not last. And unfortunately, what's happening is the doubling down on ways that bring us backward into the wound instead of forward into healing. But why nurse that pain along when we can heal it and release it for good? That is also the question on deck today. Try to push that wound down deeper and continuing to pretend that it's not there is the recipe for disaster that we seem to keep cooking up, that keeps exploding in schools and houses of worship and nightclubs and innocent people losing their lives. I say that if we find our courage to face some of these painful truths, we can heal the after effects of them and truly move on in a healthy way. It's always painful to poke at a wound. But if the wound is not healing properly, we simply must tend to it again. We must clean it up and course correct to heal well. Now, the body is dense. Understatement. <laughs> Much as we might want our physical pain to cease, sometimes it just doesn't. And all we can do is make ourselves as comfortable as possible and try to heal, of course. But our emotional, psychological, and spiritual pain can be released much more quickly if we turn toward it with contemplation, perspective, understanding, and of course, faith. When we pause to consider its nature, take appropriate healing actions, work to release its negative hold, and shift our consciousness so that we form a new worldview. In other words, change our minds. Now that doesn't mean when we change our minds that we wipe our minds clear of everything we ever knew. We're not dismissing our experience as if it didn't happen or it didn't matter. But it does mean we make a different choice in the moment about how to move forward. So often we think we don't have a choice. We can't always choose what's going on out there, but we can always choose our response to it. And that, I believe, is where the healing lies, where the healing is. Support helps too, of course, and that's why we're all here together, even if we are virtual. We are in this together, and the more understanding that we get, the better. That's how we will heal what came before. And in this way, we will heal our ancestors, and even more broadly, hear the wounds that have come down through the annals of time to land in our lives, so we can change the trajectory, tra trajectory of the future, and our children don't have to suffer from that ancient pain in ways that we might have. So today, we're examining a father's love. I want to specifically focus on the legacy that our men have inherited, because that's the paradigm that they are still mostly operating out of. And i got to tell you, it's not a good one. It's not very balanced. It's not good. My heart breaks for men, actually because I know the legacy that they have inherited is very narrow in scope. It serves a hierarchical power source, uh, power structure that's for the elite. And not everybody is elite. That's why it's elite. It serves the ego, not the heart. And I believe that the legacy that men have inherited is counter to their beautiful nature, that it causes deep internal conflicts within them, and so because it's still true that it is a man's world, for now, it's still true that it is man's world for now, and men still have most of the power about how the world works, until this legacy is healed, the wounding just continues generation after generation. And we can see how skewed the balance of life became 
living in the patriarchy that we have for thousands and thousands of years. Those yellowing wounds that we receive down through tarnished time in the carmine rivers of our blood. It's so much a part of us that we aren't even aware that it is there. We must bring this legacy into our awareness because it is so deeply ingrained, we don't even recognize it at work. We are like the fish who says, what water? Now, all we need to do is look back in history, what we know of our father's lives, or even if we don't know about our father's lives, we can look back at the era that they came of age in, what was going on in the world. We can consider whether was our father in the military, was his family of origin a loving one, did he suffer from an illness or a major injury, I mean, all the things that profoundly affect our worldview. Because unless your father's worldview was examined by him and he made a conscious choice to heal and live his life differently than those who came before him, he then most likely unconsciously repeated the patterns that were in his legacy. I can see it in my family. Boom, boom, boom. Just like pointed. There it is, there it is, there it is. There it is. If the messages that men have received have been about might makes right, toughness is the right way to be, that having and expressing emotions makes them weak, that vulnerability should be avoided at all costs, that they must be the one to provide for themselves and their family, and that their manhood is direct, directly related to how well they do that, that money is the goal, and that women and children are possessions over which they have control, and if they can't get control over their women and children, well, then they're just mama's boys. Oh, that's the worst thing they can be. Well, we can see how all this came to no good. These are the messages that have flowed down to men in their blood and their cellular memory without check. And then, they are compounded and amplified by the actions and behaviors from their fathers and also from the culture into which they were born and the greater society that aligns with them. I mean, it's the perfect storm. Now, I know some really kind men, men who choose kindness in their thoughts and words and deeds, but I don't find patriarchy as an institution to be kind at all. I find it primarily concerned with maintaining the status quo of its supremacy, even as we know things have simply got to change. I find patriarchy to be rigid, narrow, judgmental, cruel, and unfair. Now, it's very easy to lump all of our men under patriarchy, and then we feel the anger and the frustration that follows. But men suffer under patriarchy as well. Their suffering differs than the suffering of women under patriarchy, but they suffer no less. And once we start healing our ancestral lineage, so deeply entrenched in this patriarchy, we will see the change in our men as well. Our men. Waking up to the legacy that we have inherited, finding the willingness to behave differently than what, has, what is expected or has become habituated, Taking the time to consider the source of that wound, how a wound occurred, how it might be playing out within ourselves, choosing to be gentle and loving about it instead of doubling down militaristically. Oh, you're already bad. Well, punishment then. I mean, we just keep piling it on. These are the ways, gentle and loving are the ways to shift into a more peaceful and healed future. Ways to stop the madness that we feel helpless to. It's a choice, it is a choice, and we can make that choice, uh, which that choice can feel absolutely radical. Yay, radical, it is the right choice anyway. So let's take a look at our father's love for a moment, shall we? Let's take a look specifically at our father's love, because until we examine until we become very clear about how we were loved or how we weren't by our old man, until we understand his plight and that he was just emulating what he'd been conditioned to 
the ball keeps rolling. So if you would, take a moment now, close your eyes and go within. Just take a nice deep breath again. And find your roots in the earth that we sent down at the beginning of the service, just to make sure you're really grounded. And then bring your attention to your third eye in the center of your forehead now. Imagine it like an actual eye, just like your other two. Go ahead and open it up and look out through it into your imagination. And in your imagination, you are in a scene in your memory when your father was not there for you when you needed him. Now, there, there might be many of those instances, but choose one. Now, if you were raised without your biological father, then think of another man who had a strong influence over your young life. But do think about a time when he perhaps shamed instead of comforted you, humiliated instead of protected you, or a time when he made a promise that he didn't keep, or he disrespected you, or possibly was even physically violent with you, or maybe all of those. Allow a memory of a difficult interaction with your father to surface now, knowing that you are safe here in this sanctuary all this time later. He can't harm you now in this moment as you reflect. You're simply remembering a time when he was not at his best as a father, as your father. So just consider that now for a moment. And then bring to mind very specifically what you needed from him and then what he did instead. And now consider what might have been behind his behavior. Did his father treat him similarly when he was a kid? Did he think that perhaps, however misguided that thought was, that he was doing the right thing by you? Was he showing off for someone else? Was he experiencing a lot of stress at the time in his life? Was he under a lot of pressure at work or in his marriage? Was he addicted to anything? Was he ill? Did he suffer from depression or anxiety? Rarely are people mean for the sake of being mean. Often there's a reason behind it. What do you think, from this perspective, long after the fact, was the reason your father was not there for you? And then take a nice deep breath. And as you exhale, now bring to mind a time when your dad was there for you, perhaps even with flying colors, a time when he did the right thing or showed up at the right time, said the right thing in the moment. Perhaps it was a time when he anticipated your needs and provided for them even before you knew you had them. Or maybe it was a time when he was gentle or loving or funny or comforting, a shoulder to cry on, someone who made you feel safe. And if you can't think of such a time with your father, call to mind a time with another man who had a strong influence on you in your past, who was there for you when you needed him. Bring that scene to mind now. Now consider what might have been behind this behavior. Was this a particularly easygoing time in your family? Was your dad feeling good about himself in the world? Had something good just happened, like he'd gotten a raise or a promotion, or he reached a personal goal? Was it all hearts and rainbows between him and your mother or another love of his? What do you think from this perspective after the fact was the reason your father was there for you this time. Take another deep breath. 
Now, even though I'm sure thinking about the time he was not there for you still hurts, maybe even a lot, consider this. You are aware of him as a flawed human being now. And even though it happened to you, you find from this perspective after the fact that you can see there was more to it than you knew at the time. At the time, it's perhaps a frightened child or a misunderstood teenager or a confused young adult. It seemed like your father was pointedly trying to hurt you. But now you can see his pain and it somehow neutralizes the sting of that pain a bit. And it's a relief. I'm sure thinking about the time he was there for you still feels good. So linger there for another moment. Feel those good feelings about your father or your father figure. The man who sired you, brought you with your mother into this life. And consider that despite, despite all the ancestral wounding, he still managed to show up for you in a way that you needed. Despite his legacy of false masculinity or toxic masculinity, wounded masculinity, he still was there for you. What a blessing. And so let your love for your father or father figure fill your heart now and really feel it. The love for your father and feel his love for you too, because in his way he did. And then take a nice deep breath and come on back here. And gently open your eyes when you're ready. You know, knowing and understanding how our fathers became who they were or are is a really big piece of ancestral healing. Not to justify their actions if they were less than loving or gentle or kind, but to understand the ground from which they arose. You know, for example, we all know, and if, I, if you don't know, I'm here to tell you, all bullies are really cowards. That might seem counterintuitive, but it's true. The only reason someone would pick on someone else is because they want to make sure that no one picks on them. Right? We all know this. I'm going to be cruel to you so that you won't be cruel to me. Or I'm going to be cruel to you first, so I'll frighten you off, and then you won't have a chance to be cruel to me. The swaggering bravado is a guise to hide a frightened child, no matter how old that child has become. People who are secure in themselves don't need to bully anybody. People who are secure in themselves don't need to be unfair. They don't need to demonstrate power over behavior. So by understanding the legacy of disdain that our fathers inherited, we can understand if they were emotionally absent. By understanding the legacy of toughness our fathers inherited, we can understand if they were too callous or cavalier with us. By understanding the legacy of cruelty that our fathers inherited, we can understand why they abandoned or abused us. I mean, just think of the history of warfare on this planet. And I know that there are women in the military as well, but that's relatively new in our history, women in the military. For thousands of years, sons were born for the war machine. For thousands of years, men were conditioned to ignore their loving hearts their sense of fairness, their morality, their ethics, so that they could become heroic pawns of war. And how many families were fractured by their deaths or painfully impacted by the aftermaths of their father's experience in war? Hopefully our grandfathers treated their sons with patience and kindness, and that is the loving legacy. But we can look to the world today with all its division and racism and inequality and unfairness and denial and cruelty and see that the majority of what was inherited was not a very loving legacy. This falls to us now to change. Our parents, whether they raised us or not, whether they raised us well or not, are the primary role models for what we came to believe a woman and a man should be in the world. 
Sometimes we become who we are because of who our parents were, sometimes because of who they weren't. But one way or another, the impression our parents made on us as authorities is a lasting one, so we must examine that impression so we can make conscious choices about how we want to be in the world. When we are conscious of the emotional, psychological, and spiritual legacy that we have inherited, we can choose what stops with us and what continues to go down the line. Because our children and our grandchildren, or any of the children you may interact with, whether they are our blood or not, are watching and they are listening. We must model the highest and the best for them. We must teach our children well. That's a song to you, don't you think? different now than it was when I was a young woman. This is the gift of aging, I think, that perspective. There is a peacefulness that I didn't have when I was younger. The fire of my anger has mellowed into a warmth fueled by understanding. And the light of that fire is eliminating a ver illuminating a very different path forward. Even if I can't heal every wound that comes down and lands in my life, any change that I do make 
any way I respond differently than my ancestors and my parents did, any way that I don't emulate the same behavior, even as my siblings in this generation, will change the flow down in my bloodline. Every time I choose to be kind instead of shame someone during hardship, every time I offer grace instead of criticism, every time I'm patient instead of exacting, who me? <laughs> I change what comes after. Just this past Friday, I was lucky enough to be invited by my friend Luann, who's sitting right there, uh, to go see Les Mis, Les Miserables, at the Fifth Avenue Theater. But she had an extra ticket. I was so lucky. Now, I'd seen it once before many years ago back in New York, but this production was even better. Simply a gorgeous production. If you get a chance to see it, I highly recommend it. Now, it's not a happy story, Les Miserables, necessarily. It's a real tearjerker. But to illustrate a point that I'm making, here is the description as it's written in the playbill of the very first part of the story. After 19 years on the chain gang, Jean Valjean finds that his ticket of leave that he must display, that proves that he did his time, condemns him to be an outcast. Like everywhere he goes, they see that and they treat him poorly and he's outcast and they beat him up. It's just obviously scene after scene. It's just terrible. Only the Bishop of Dine treats him kindly. And Valjean, embittered by years of hardship, repays the bishop by stealing some of the silver in the church. Valjean is then caught and brought back by the police. And then he is astonished when the bishop lies to the police to save him. It is such a beautiful scene. The police come, they throw Valjean on the floor. And the bishop and a nun come out of the church, what's going on? And they see what's happening, and the bishop runs inside, and he comes back with two silver candlesticks. And he says, my friend, my friend, you left before. You, you, you only took the chalice that I gifted you. you. You totally forgot the best part. Here are these two candlesticks. And he says this in front of the police. And so the police say, oh, it was a gift. He didn't steal anything. And they let him go. And the bishop says to him, he whispers to him as they're putting the chalice and the candlesticks in the bag, perhaps this will start something new for you differently. And Valjean decides to start his life anew. The bishop interacted with Valjean as if he were visiting royalty instead of an ex-con who ought to be spat upon. It is the kindness of the bishop that is the turnaround for Valjean. And over the course of the story, we see how his life changed and how his changed life changes so many others, including and perhaps especially the following generation. When we consciously engage in ancestral healing, like be mindful of it in the interactions, particularly with your family. But even if there's like a stranger that goes by and, you know, those like ride by microaggressions. We can change the trajectory of life that comes after if we are thinking in terms of ancestral healing. If we're thinking, that guy is having a really bad day. That woman is feeling completely unresourced. Just come from that place of understanding. Instead of leaving a legacy of pain and rupture, of shame and humiliation and cruelty and injustice, unhealthy interactions, and jealous greed, which is like big cornerstone of our late-stage capitalism in this planet. We, instead of those things, we build a bridge forward that's made strong with compassion and love and understanding. We can see the response in people when we treat them that way. They don't just keep stealing. They say, oh my goodness, this act of kindness is going to make me change my life. I'm going to behave differently. When we show that way to the next generation, we foster trust from one generation to the next. And then we chase the, change the course of history. We change the course of history. When we start practicing ancestral healing, the legacy you wish to leave becomes more important than the one you inherited. 
we become more concerned with leaving a loving, integrated, healed legacy of fairness and respect and love and compassion and tenderness and patience, all the good things, than we do with being preoccupied with what came down the pike with us, to us. You know, that whole thing like, well, I suffered, so you're going to suffer. No, that's what comes down the pike. What we can choose to say is, well, I suffered, I don't want you to, so we're just going to go like that and we're going to end up in a completely different way. A small little gesture, a word of kindness, some compassion in the eyes, that's all it takes. When we do this, we have the satisfaction of working to leave those coming after us a different and healthier world to live in than the one that we inherited. And Paul Henderson has written a beautiful song they're going to sing for us now called Bridge the Generations with Love. Our 
Son, thank you. So, we have a Father's Day tradition in Gaia's Temple, and that's to give the men who attend our service in person a yellow rose, symbolizing both their golden radiance and our golden love for them. So, we're going to sing, We Are a People in the Full Height of Our Power once more, and we're going to ask our men to somehow make their way, well, it seems like all the men are on this side anyway, to make your way to the back there and then come on up as I hand you a rose. Here we go. We are a people of the full height of our power. This is the place and now is the hour. We are a people of the full height of our power. This is the place and now is the hour. We Father's Day blessing. Beautiful men, our beautiful men, loving fathers and sons, brothers and uncles, grandfathers, friends and husbands, we do indeed love you. You are handsome and smart and clever and funny and strong, yeah. and you have incredible upper body strength. Yeah. <laughs> We need you. We need you to be the kind of strong that includes vulnerability, a softened heart that unabashedly expresses your love, and a sense of justice that takes action day to day, moment to moment. We need you to protect and defend us, yes, but more, to cease taking unfair advantage out of habit. And so we bless you with our undying love our unconditional love, our freely given love, that you may know it and feel it and grow nourished by it, that you may feel so supported by it, that you can make different choices about how to live your life than how you have been conditioned to believe you must. Go forth with our love and blessings, you beautiful men, you men of our hearts, you fathers, fathers of the world, and father the world with a love the world has yet to know, gentle and sweet and consistent and trustworthy. Happy Father's Day and blessed be. You may be seated. <laughs> I mean, take a stand for us all the time. <laughs> 
So uh, this is where we open up the floor for our community prayers, and I actually have two prayers that I want to begin uh, this with. The first was uh, someone requested that I make this uh, prayer in our community, and I asked the Great Mother, there is a woman who is missing, her name is Meg McCormick, and she was last seen on June 3rd of this year in West Seattle, and no one has seen her since. So we're going to put forth a prayer that she is safe, that she's on her way home, and that all will be well, blessed be. And then the second prayer is for our treasurer, Noemi, who tweaked her back and is down for the count, and uh, we just want to heal that back sooner than later, and with get rid of the pain, uh, so she is back on her feet and feeling strong and beautiful. Blessed be. Right. If you have a prayer that you would like to offer, feel free to just speak it out loud. When you're finished, say, blessed be, so we know you're done, and the next person can go. I actually have a number of prayers. This is my last uh, in-person opportunity to join for a guy's temple service, for the foreseeable future at least. Um, so if you'll indulge me for a few moments. Um, I have two prayers prepared. But then this morning I was talking with a friend who gave birth on Thursday, and it was in every way a traumatic birth. She is still in the hospital. Her child is still in NICU and probably will be until Thursday. Um, and so I want to offer to them a prayer of healing and also a very big prayer of gratitude to modern medicine because she has told me it is, an, it is a miracle that she and her child are alive right now. And so a prayer of healing and gratitude for my friend and her child. Blessed be. Blessed, Blessed be. be. My other two prayers are a bit more fun. Um, my, I, first off, as many of you know, I am moving to Boston in about two weeks, um, and we are going to be road tripping the 3,200 miles there with a nine-month-old baby, a dog and a cat, and my husband and I. Um, and I'm really excited and nervous and working on packing while also taking care of a nine-month-old baby, and it's, it's a lot, but I would ask for prayers of safe travel and fun adventures along the way, and that we make it safely to our new home in Boston. Blessed be. Blessed be. And then finally, again, thank you for your time and your indulgence. I want to say a prayer of gratitude to Gaius Temple and to this community and to you, Reverend Judith. I have been a part of Gaius Temple since August or September of 2017, and it has been so wonderful to get to know so many of you and to be in ritual with so many of you. And I am going to miss it very, very much. It has been such a wonderful highlight of my time living here in Seattle. Judith, you officiated my wedding and my baby shower and my baby blessing ceremony. You have been such a wonderful, talented, and magical part of my life at so many important points. And so I want to thank you for your incredible service and relationship that we have had together and the wonderful community that you have created. I could go on for way too long about how wonderful Gaia's Temple and you are. So I'll just wrap it up with a prayer of gratitude for you and for this community. Blessed be. Blessed, Blessed be. Thank you so much. We're going to miss you so much, Brianne. Miss you all too. Anybody else have a prayer? <laughs> <laughs> I want to send a prayer out to those folks who have been having difficult times these days, especially those who have lost their jobs and are in uncertain times, and for those people who have uncertainty with their jobs, I just want to send a prayer of just faith that May all our prayers, spoken and unspoken, be heard and answered. Blessed be. Blessed be. All right, so we're going to pass the love offering baskets now for your donations. Thank you in advance for donating to us. Um, what I want to say, uh, which most of you already know, but in case you don't, 
uh, Guy's Temple tithes 10% of what comes into our love offering baskets at the service to other organizations and today to other organ uh, nonprofits, other nonprofits that are in alignment with our mission and our vision and our values. And today we are tithing to the Freedom Project, which transforms prisoners into peacemakers, teaching prisoners how to heal relationships ruptured by violence and how to improve their capacity to serve as family members, workers, and citizens. So know that 10% of what you put in the Love Offering Basket will go to support that mission. And thank you in advance for your generosity. And I'm just going to pack you. Thank you so much, everyone. All right. So speaking of thank you, thank you, Kathy Suska on piano. Paul Henderson and Oriel Lighton. <laughs> to our fabulous tech team, Dane and Eric. Listen, I want to give a shout out because we are like two board members down who normally do a whole bunch of things or in additional things that these two gents have stepped up to take care of us. Thank you so very much. You have fathered us well today. I'm very grateful for that. And always I want to thank my board of directors who just do everything for this ministry to keep going. I love you all and I'm very, very grateful. So I have a closing thought before we release our directions and our elements today. It's a beautiful closing thought by a woman named Rosemary Wahtola Tromer. And it goes like this, beautiful poem. So, I can't save the world, can't even save myself, can't wrap my arms around every frightened child, can't foster peace among nations, can't bring love to all who feel unlovable. So I practice opening my heart right here in this room and being gentle with my insufficiency. I practice walking down the street heart first. And if it is insufficient to share love, I will practice loving anyway. I want to converse about truth, about trust. I want to invite compassion into every interaction. One willing heart can't stop a war. One willing heart can't feed all the hungry. And sometimes, daunted by a task too big, I tell myself, what's the use of trying? But today, the invitation is clear to be ridiculously courageous in love, to open the heart like a lilac in May, knowing freeze is possible and opening anyway, to take love seriously, to give love wildly, to race up to the world as if I were a puppy, adoring and unjaded, stumbling on my own exuberance, to feel the shock of indifference, of anger, of cruelty, of fear, and stay open to love as if it matters, as if the world depends on it. Blessed be. Blessed be. <coughs> <coughs>